Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are with us. Uh, glad to have you joining us online this morning. Uh, if you're a guest of ours today, we are so honored that you're here. I know we have some, uh, some guests from different parts of the country this morning. And uh, what an honor that you chose to worship God with us here in Tampa, Bay Area. So last week, I began a new sermon series that I told you was either going to be very encouraging or challenging, or it was going to be the most depressing sermon series that you've heard in a long time. And I'm still really hoping for the former. But I understand that when we talk about not just the life that we're called to live, but when we start talking about the death that we are all destined to die, it can be a little bit of a downer. But it doesn't have to be. Not if we learn to count our days. And not if we learn to make every day count. So last week I gave you all some homework. I asked you to do two things. First I said, I want you to take something from your someday list and move it into your today list. You take one thing that you've been putting off for a long time, that someday I'm going to do that, move that into a list of things you're going to do today, because remember, God's favorite day is today. And then I also asked you, we gave out some cards, and I said, I want you to start every day this week with the same prayer that uh, Moses uh, mentioned in Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy. And be glad all our days. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands from who did their homework this week, but I want you to know we serve a God who is going to honor our efforts. And if you did some or one or a little bit of the homework, congratulations. Gold star. If you didn't do it this week, don't worry. You can do it this coming week. Full credit, okay? If you go ahead and do it. So, being the optimist that I am, I'm going to continue this series today. Make it count. Remembering that the Bible tells us that our lives are a vapor, just a mist, smoke, withered grass. You see, the subtitle to my lesson this morning is Finding Meaning in the Mist. Where do we find meaning in our lives? Can we find meaning in our lives, knowing that our lives are pretty short. It kind of reminds me of the woman, the wife who went out and spent a lot of money on some really expensive cosmetics that were guaranteed to make her look years younger. So she spends like an hour in front of the mirror applying all this uh, miracle of cosmetics. She walks into where her husband's watching TV and she said, okay, now tell me the truth. If you didn't know me, how old would you say I look right now? And he looked her up and down. And he said, well, judging from your skin, I'd say 22. Your hair, 18. Your eyes, 26. Your figure, 31. She's gushing, says, oh, sweetie, you are such a flatterer. He said, wait, I haven't added them up yet. So yes, our days are indeed numbered. There is a clock ticking, and none of us can turn that clock back. We're all getting older. 
which means we're all getting closer to you know, the last day of our lives. And again, this whole series isn't meant to depress you. My goal is to motivate us to think about our priorities, to recalibrate our lives, and how are we living our days? How are we making our days count? Because someday, I mentioned this last week, the last thing we're going to own is some kind of a marker. It's going to have our name on it, and it's going to have two dates on it. And you didn't have anything to do with that first date. And you don't really have any idea when that second date will be. The only thing that we can control is that dash in the middle. The only thing we have any control over is how we live our dash. So, in this series, we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to look at some different people in, uh, in Scripture, talk about how they dealt with this brevity of life, the reality that, that our lives are short, and that our dash is pretty limited. So this morning, I want to take some, get some wisdom, maybe, from the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. And I'll tell you right up front, although Solomon was blessed with a tremendous amount of wisdom, there was a lot of things that he got wrong. Some pretty important things that he got wrong as well. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. When I was in college at Lipscomb, I, I took a quarter devoted to the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> it was <clears throat> the most boring class <laughs> I ever sat through. It was painful. It was like watching paint dry. So consequently, for years, I had avoided the book of Ecclesiastes. And then much later, I found out it wasn't the information, it was the presentation. It was the guy teaching the class. He was just incredibly boring. And I realized, okay, this book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of a fascinating book, really. Solomon writes that book. Late in life, however, Solomon walks away from what was a very close walk with God. Solomon adopts kind of a horizontal view of life. And he has a phrase that he uses over and over again in his writings. And the phrase is, under the sun. And he uses that phrase, under the sun, to refer to everything in this world. Everything that's created, everything that he sees. And what he does is he starts focusing much more on the created and less on the creator. And he starts wrestling with this view of life from a horizontal perspective. And he becomes overwhelmed with the reality that everyone eventually dies. And the lasting impression that bothers Solomon is the fact that nothing is lasting. The wisest man in the world has no answer for death. And the thing that he constantly remembers is that no one will ever be constantly remembered. So he says this in Ecclesiastes 2. Just as the fool will die, so will I. So of what value is all my wisdom? Then I said to myself, this is also meaningless. For the wise person and the fool both die, and in the days to come, both will be forgotten. You know what? Do you think I need that? Thanks, but I don't know. That is so mean. Thanks, Eric. That, I can be such a jerk. I'm sorry. 
Uh, have we started yet? No. Yes, we have. We forget. You know, people forget. Question for you. How many of you know anything about your great-great-grandfather? A few. Nice. Okay. I don't know anything about my great-great-grandfather. If I've been told anything about him, I've forgotten it. How many of you know who Howard Franklin was? Hint, he did not build the bridge. Okay. How about Dale Mabry? Yeah, I know one person raises his hand because I asked Bert Thomas a, few, uh, a couple days ago if he knew who Dale Mabry was. Turns out he does. Dale Mabry died 100 years ago. He was a World War I pilot. He, he died actually at a young age. He was 31 when he died. He was piloting a dirigible, like a Zeppelin, in Virginia when it crashed. 34 people died in that accident. Dale Mabry's not even from Tampa. He, he lived in Tallahassee. His brother was from Tampa. So his brother named a road after him. And so, you know, we all now know Dale Mabry. I didn't know that about Dale Mabry. I never cared to know that. And I won't remember that very long. You know, wise people, foolish people, they are, they're all eventually forgotten. Solomon goes on to say this in chapter 9. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether they're righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who take oaths are treated like people who don't. It seems so tragic that one fate comes to all. That's why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. Solomon is really a negative guy here. And he has one word that he uses over and over again as he wrestles with kind of the, the reality of our mortality. And depending on what translation you're using, the word is either vanity or meaningless. It's a theme that comes up over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon keeps coming back to this conclusion. Everything is meaningless. Solomon is trying to find some meaning under the sun. And he said, you know what? It's like chasing the wind. If you're trying to find a reason to live, if you're trying to find a purpose in your life, and you're looking for it under the sun, you might as well be trying to rope a tornado. Because it's all just so meaningless. So Solomon proposes, or at least he recognizes, a couple of alternatives, a couple options. And his first option is for the cynic. His first option is for all the people who see, you know, the glass half empty. He said, you know, one thing, you can just give up. Just, just give up. I mean, what's the point anyway, right? What's it matter? We're all going to die. Who cares? Because one of the things that the book of Ecclesiastes does is it sort of kills all of those feel-good memes that you see posted on Instagram. You know what I'm talking about, right? All, the, all those sayings, you know, if you, if you just do good things, good things will happen to you. Or if you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. 
which is kind of the same advice that Job got from his friends. Hey, Job, the reason you're having a problem is because you're a problem. But Solomon knows better. Solomon has some wisdom. And Solomon is a student of, of, of life. So he says in chapter 7, In this meaningless life, I've seen everything, including the fact that some good people die young and some wicked people live on and on. We know that's true, right? And it says in chapter 8, And this is not all that's meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they're wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. I think one of the reasons why we have the book of Ecclesiastes is because God understands that on some level we all kind of wrestle with this. We all sort of wrestle with the absurdity of life, the, the unfairness of life. Wonderful people can be saddled with these tremendous burdens. And then really difficult people, really scratchy people, they, they seem to just skate through life unscathed. And I think God knows that, that an honest heart is going to see these things and ask, you know, what's the deal? How can that be? What's the point? Now, now some people will tell you, here's the point. You can find meaning if you're successful enough. You can find meaning in life if you make enough money and have enough money. If you sleep with enough people. If you build enough things. If you have enough, do enough. You'll find meaning in life. Solomon says, I've been down every one of those roads. I have been there. I've done that. Make all the money you can. Vapor. Sleep with as many people as you want. Mist. Be the smartest guy in the room. Dust. Build the grandest buildings. Smoke. Have people sing your praises. That's withered grass. Solomon says, you know, I've kind of come to hate life. Because everything down here, everything under the sun is so meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. Back when greyhound racing was still legal in the state of Florida, uh, there was a training facility about two miles from my house on Finota Sassa Road. And back when I was in the feed business, we sold dog food to that greyhound training facility. We sold tons of dog food to that facility. Every week, I would deliver dog food to that facility. And it was amazing to watch them train those dogs because unless you're a hardcore dog race gambler, you probably don't realize how fast those dogs are. It was so fun to watch them run. So one day I'm there and I'm delivering some feed and um, I'm watching them train these dogs on, on their racetrack and the dogs get to the back straight away and the mechanical rabbit that they're chasing stops, breaks. And the dogs immediately catch the rabbit. And they don't know what to do. <laughs> they're confused. They jump around, they bark. There's a woman that's standing beside me. She said, oh no, that's the worst. And I said, why? She said, because it's so hard to retrain them after that happens. So what are you talking about? She said, well, once those dogs catch the rabbit, they realize it's not worth chasing. <laughs> then you've got to retrain them. 
Solomon says, once you finally catch the thing you're chasing, you're going to realize it wasn't worth running after. It's going to disappoint you. Once you finally get that thing that you have worked so hard to get, you're going to be disappointed. You're not going to be able to build a life on it. Every road that Solomon went down kind of turned into a dead end. Every search left him frustrated. So, you know, one option, just give up. Live your life like it's already over. I mean, what's the point? We're all going to die. But Solomon recognizes a second option. It's quite different. Solomon says you can either give up or you can live it up. I mean, you're going to die in the end anyways. You might as well do all the living that you can. Solomon's recommendation is quit dashing through life and start living your dash. Come on. So he says in chapter 3, I concluded that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they can. Chapter 8, So I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people to do in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. Chapter 9, So go ahead, eat your food, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a dash of cologne. (laughs) Wear fine clothes with a dash of cologne. Some of you guys have been looking for that verse all your life, right? Put some cologne on, wear the clothes. What Solomon is saying is, go ahead and laugh every now and then. Tell a joke. Enjoy life. No, uh, go places. Travel. Amen. (laughs) Eat the ice cream. Amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) See, the non-believer can argue the problem of pain, and they do. Well, if there's a good God, why is there so much needless pain in the world? If the non-believer can argue the problem of pain, shouldn't we be able to argue the problem of pleasure and beauty? If there's not a good God, why is there so much needless pleasure in the world? Why is there so much beauty in the world? I mean, think about it. God didn't have to make colors. He could have created everything black and white and gray, but he didn't do that. He created sunsets and rainbows and flowers with different colors. God didn't have to make food taste good. Could have just been all bland, all taste the same, all just kind of you know, fuel for the engine. But he didn't do that. He made mashed potatoes and pumpkin pie. God didn't have to give us music. We didn't have to have the Statler brothers. But praise God we do. He didn't have to make mountains and beaches. He didn't have to make our world beautiful. He didn't have to put stars in the sky. What Solomon is saying is, listen, life is hard and life is short. Live anyway. It's a guy in California. His name was S.L. Potter. And he had a unique wish for his 100th birthday. He wanted at 100 years old to go bungee jumping. And his children ages 68 to 74, tried really hard to talk their dad out of going bungee jumping, but he couldn't be dissuaded. So at 100 years old, 
he climbed a 200-foot tower and he bungee jumped, 100 years old. When they took him off the cord, his first words were, somebody get my teeth. <laughs> now, there is a lot to be said for living while we're still alive. And yeah, the world needs to see us as Christians living while we're still alive. But to do that, we have to understand where it is we find meaning in our midst. We've got to understand where purpose comes from, and that's where Solomon falls short. That's where the wisest man in the world gets it wrong. And that's where the Apostle Paul ultimately proves wiser, at least in this area, than Solomon. Paul is in prison. He has no idea if his dash is about to end or if it might be extended. And he writes this, Philippians 1. For I live in eager expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and that my life will always honor Christ, whether I live or I die. For to me, living is for Christ, and dying is even better. Paul said, I'm going to live my life on purpose. And I'm going to live my life with purpose. And my purpose is to honor Christ. Whether I live, whether I die. Regardless of how long my dash might be, I'm going to honor Jesus with my life. And when the time comes... I want to honor Jesus with my death as well. Because at the end of the day, all of Solomon's advice still has a very me-first ring to it. And if you keep putting yourself in the center of your purpose, you're going to be disappointed. You're never going to find meaning in the mist. Paul's advice is, make it about Jesus. And if exalting Jesus is your goal, you're going to hit your target. Your life will have meaning. Paul said, my life is going to be about Jesus. My meaning is to honor Jesus with my life. So this morning, if your life feels meaningless, you probably have one of two problems. Either you're after the wrong goal, you're chasing the wrong rabbit, or you have the right goal... Your goal is to honor Jesus, but you're not living your life in a way that will accomplish your goal. You know, you say, I agree with Paul. I want to honor Christ. But you're not really living your life. You're not really counting your days in order to make those days count to honor Jesus with your days. Two weeks ago, Daryl Berry and I were talking in the foyer out here and we were talking about, uh, we, we realized we both have a common, one of our favorite authors. We started talking about how much we both appreciate and enjoy this man's writing. Dallas Willard, a lot of you have heard of Dallas Willard. Um, Christian writer, influencer, theologian. Dallas Willard's mother died when he was two years old. The last thing his mother said to his father right before she died was, keep eternity before the children. Those were her last words. Keep eternity before the children. Do not let our kids grow up 
with just a horizontal view. And Dallas Willard said as far as he knew to as best his father could, he honored his dying wife's last wish. So if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. And nothing can frustrate that purpose. Because Jesus was put in a tomb on a Friday, and Sunday morning he walked out of that tomb. And he turns a dead end into superhighways. And life and death are, are under his authority. And so at the very end of that great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady. Always enthusiastic about the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever meaningless. If you do it in the name of Jesus, it counts. It matters. If it's just a cup of cold water and it's in the name of Jesus, it matters and it matters forever. Jesus claims victory over the finality of death. We don't fear death. Because Jesus wins. The empty tomb proves that. What I do for Jesus counts. It matters. And it matters forever. I don't have to spend my life trying to catch the wind. Let me close with one last story. <clears throat> Gina, you'll appreciate this story. January 4th, 2006, Texas Longhorns defeated USC for the national championship in the Rose Bowl. You would think that that would be like the greatest day ever for any college coach. Matt Brown was the coach of Texas at that time. Matt Brown goes into the locker room after the game and he gets his team together and after everything's kind of quieted down, he got the team and he said, listen, men, do not let this be the greatest day of your life. It's a great day. It was a great win. But do not let this be the greatest day of your life. It is wisdom. That's a coach who's coaching life more than he's coaching football. Don't build your life on a vapor. Only what's done for Jesus is going to last. You know, we as a culture, we are bombarded by satanic propaganda that you can find meaning. You can find meaning with what goes on in a boardroom or in a bedroom or at a ball game. It's not where meaning is found. Meaning is found only when we live our lives for Jesus. So this morning, you need to make some life choices. Or if you need to make some life changes. Or if you just need the prayers of people who love you, we're going to invite you to come to the front and let us know. Let's go ahead and be standing. Well, I'll be saying.